Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his newsmaking interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, podcast1.com, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you for grabbing it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and checking it out each and every week. Thursday brings you the new episodes. So if you're listening on post day, happy Thursday to each and every one of you. Hey, a really short open this week because we have a really long double dip interview for you this week. I wanted to bring you both of these artists together because they are sort of connected as you are about to hear. So Lita Ford and Chris Holmes were at one point in their lives married. And it was, uh, as you can imagine, if you know Chris Holmes and know of his persona and have seen the... uh decline of Western civilization, you know he is quite a character. Well, I thought it would be fun to bring you two interviews I did with them recently. The interviews were not done with the two of them together. They were done about a week apart. But since they're tied together and each of them talks about the other in the interview, I thought it would be a great double interview episode to bring you. So it's a little longer than usual, some extra content this week, but it tied together nicely and I thought it would be fun to do. So we're going to start with Lita Ford, who was actually promoting something that took place this past weekend. So as I always tell you, the interviews you hear on this podcast originate on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, Heard on volume, channel 106, every day in the U.S. and Canada, live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly replays, 10 to midnight Eastern, full shows, interviews, anything you want on the SiriusXM app. As I always tell you, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, please join me daily on SiriusXM. You're getting a tiny, tiny taste here on the podcast of what I do on a daily basis. So... The Lita interview, which I'll air first here on the podcast, happened a little over a week ago, and you'll hear her talk about a streaming event, which has now already happened. It happened last weekend. But there's still a ton of other content in here that will be great for you to hear that I think you will enjoy. And it had been a while since I had a chance to talk with Lita. She's an old friend, and she's always great to visit with. So it was a good catch-up conversation. And I bring up Chris Holmes 
And she has a pretty funny, crazy story about Chris. Second will be the Chris Holmes interview. Now, I will warn you in advance that the audio on the Chris Holmes interview is a little shaky. Chris Holmes lives in France, and that's where he was joining me from, France. And initially, we tried to do this interview live on the air via Zoom, and he had a really bad internet connection, which you will hear causes some outages and him breaking up a little bit. And then later in the interview, I decided to just get him to call me on the phone instead of trying to use the internet, and that was a much better connection. So bear with me a little on the Chris Holmes audio. It's the best it can be. We were just at the mercy of the internet and him in France and not on a great connection. So that's second. And he talks a little bit about being married to Lita then, you know, on on his interview as well. So again, these are tied together in a way that two individuals that at one point in their life were married, talking on individual interviews and mentioning each other. And Chris is talking about a documentary that's just come out on his life called Mean Man. Lita at the time was promoting this streaming event. Both of these interviews are less than three weeks old, done at separate times. So we start with Lita Ford, second Chris Holmes. Remember, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. Please be sure to follow, especially Twitter and Instagram. And I am on Cameo. And if you'd like to book me for Cameo, please do so at cameo.com. You can no longer book me on Cameo using an Apple device using the app. Uh, I took it down from the Apple app store uh, as an option to book on Cameo because they charge you and me extra money. So you can book with the app. If you're on an Android, anyone else you want to book on Cameo, very simple. Just go to cameo.com directly to the website, search my name, and you will see how to do it there. Uh, what else do I need to tell you? I don't think anything else. Like I said, I want to get right to these interviews this week. You're going to enjoy it. So coming back, we start with Lita and then we talk to Chris Holmes. Enjoy on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey folks, are you paying out of your own pocket for gear you need to do your job? All kinds of departments across the nation, all those good folks, police, fire, EMS, medical workers on the front lines, even military units. Uh, You deal with constrained budgets, outdated gear, but there's still a job to do and you need the right gear to do it. Hunting for military first responder discounts has historically required going from one website to another, creating multiple account logins just to make purchases and jumping through various hoops to verify your service. Don't you wish there was just one, one place where you could visit that had a carefully crafted selection of deals for military first responders in one spot? Well, folks, we got that answer for you because it is the place to go, and that place is no doubt about it what I'm about to tell you about, and that is GovX.com. GovX works directly with brands to negotiate the best price possible because you deserve the gear you need at the prices you've earned. Plus, you can trust that the gear you're ordering is 100% authentic direct from the manufacturers. Big general retailers, they don't care about you and your sacrifices. 
as long as you're clicking on the add to the cart button, not GovX. Got a huge collection of gear and apparel from popular brands all in one convenient location. GovX honors your service and gives back to your communities. So if you're an American of service, a current or former member of the military, firefighters, frontline medical or law enforcement communities, or the emergency medical communities, join GovX for free and enjoy a community that honors and gives back to patriots like you. And if you got a military or a first responder background, you visit GovX.com, you sign up for free for instant access to tons of deals and a community that honors your service. And check this out. Use the promo code TRUNK15, T-R-U-N-K-15, to get $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's an amazing deal. Just use my code TRUNK, T-R-U-N-K-15, govx.com, G-O-V-X.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As mentioned, first up, Lita Ford. She was calling in to promote on my Sirius XM radio show a streaming event, which has since happened this past weekend, but we get into a lot of other great stuff as well. So here it is, the First Lady of Rock, one of two interviews this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast with Lita Ford. Lita. Eddie. How are you? I'm joining you from the Arizona desert. Are you, you're in Arizona now. You know, I was saying earlier, a lot of people are leaving California. What facilitated the move from your native L.A.? You know, I, I just needed some privacy. Privacy and, uh, you know, just peace of mind and, and not a lot of traffic and the fires. And, I mean, don't even get me started on the fires. It's just like, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. How do you like Arizona? I'm loving it. It's just absolutely, uh, it's spiritual. It's just a really beautiful spiritual place where I'm living. I've got a beautiful mountain view, and uh, the weather's awesome. I mean, it's hot. Don't get me wrong. It, the summers are super brutally hot, and uh, I like that. I actually <laughs> like that, so I, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I've been looking at places. I've been looking at places in Vegas, outside of Vegas. I I want to buy a place there in a big way for the same reason that you're saying. And we have. I mean, I'm in Jersey. We got snow and ice on the ground as we speak, and I'm I'm over it. So I've been looking out that. I want to get out in the mountains a little bit and do something like that myself. But everybody says the same thing about Vegas. It's hot, but I'm like, I'll take a few months of intense heat versus what I'm dealing with right now, chipping ice off the windshield. Yeah. Oh. God, absolutely. It's just brutal. I mean, it's 50 degrees here right now. 50 degrees, <laughs> and it is 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and we've got snow on the mountain. It's a beautiful day, and it's 50 degrees. It's just crazy. It just doesn't get any better than this. How have you felt <laughs> a change? How have you felt, Lita, a change in environment like that? Has that uh, impacted your creativity and songwriting? Have you worked on songs? Has there been some artists tell me when they get a change of scenery and they go into a different environment, it, it impacts them like that? Have you found that at all? You know, Eddie, that's a 
that's just really a great question because it really has in a way that I've never experienced before in my life and uh, found that, that living here, I've been, I'm able to be completely quiet and completely focused on music, on new music that nobody's heard yet, unfortunately. But just the, some of the songwriting has just been off the hook, and I'm so happy with it. You know, uh, living in an environment where you have a lot of distractions and a lot of stress and a lot of things going on in your life, it's really hard to focus on music and songwriting and just melodies and riffs and just stuff, you know, that you need to put together. And here, I haven't had that problem at all. It's just been like, wow, this is cool. I'm liking it. Do you have other musicians or friends around that live near you, like, or, or musicians you would collaborate with at all? Um, no. You know what I do is um, I've been working with my producer, Gary Hoey, who sure. has produced my new album that hasn't come out yet. And uh, him and I have been working back and forth on this new record for quite a few years now. It's taken, it's been a process. But what I do is when I have an idea, I call Gary, I call his wife, Nicole. I'm like, Nicole, does Gary have a break in his schedule? <laughs> when can I come over? And she's like, oh, well, you can come in April and we can get you in for 10 days. And, and so, okay, book me in. So I get on a plane and I fly to Gary's house, which is on the East Coast. And uh, Gary and I lock ourselves in his awesome studio, which has this great vibe. And we come out of there with the best stuff. And, and he's such a great guitar player and he has so many great ideas. And I take my ideas to Gary. And, you know, you need somebody to bounce your ideas off of. You, it doesn't matter what you do. You've got to have somebody to bounce your ideas off of. Gary's the guy. Oh, yeah, he's a real really he's a real good guy. He's a real talented guy as well. I, he, uh, I did a TV sh uh, special from the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp a couple years ago, and he was my pseudo instructor. And I don't know how to play a note of anything, oh. and he, in a few minutes, even taught me how to play "Smoke on the Water." So he's a real miracle worker. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, Gary would be the guy. <laughs> Yeah, very, very talented guy. And uh, so you've made a record. So you have a record done that you're sitting on, basically? Yeah, we're actually, um, I mean, Gary and I have, we've been working together for quite a long time on this record. And uh, we've we've encountered all kinds of experiences through this record, like uh, death uh, and drug addiction and, and and hardcore illnesses and just you know different people involved in the project and it's just been like whoa and then traveling back and forth and touring and just trying to put together the right album with the right lyrics and and Gary and I have at the end of it all we sat back and listened to the record and just said you know this is some of the best guitar playing I think I've heard in decades. And I, I'm not blowing smoke up my own ass, but Gary and I just nailed it with the guitar playing on this record. And, and I'm a huge fan of people like Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter from mm -hmm. uh, Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. I mean, there's some really great duo guitar players out there. You know, Glenn Tipton, K.K. Downing. It's just, 
those guitar players don't exist anymore. They just don't exist. I mean, if you want to hear them, you have to go back in time a little bit and dig them up into your favorite library, favorite music catalog. But I think Gary and I really nailed it on this next record. And it's just like, oh, my God. I'm crying. I'm just like crying. Listen to this stuff. So badass. Well, I can't wait to hear it. What Are you going to just wait until the pandemic stuff is over before you put it out at this point? Oh, well, you know, it's been, an, it, like I said, it's been an ordeal, and we've had a lot of major hurdles to jump. And the pandemic has been one of those major hurdles, you know, just trying to get the drum tracks recorded because originally we were doing digital drums, and uh, Bobby Rock is like, you know, dude, we've been playing together for so long. You got to get that Bobby Rock vibe in there. I'm like, yeah, we do. We need that Thunder House, you know, powerhouse balls to the walls, drums, real drums, not the digital stuff. Yeah. And uh, people just don't do that anymore either. And, uh, and so just trying to find a studio to record the drums in with the pandemic, everybody was shut down. So it's, you know, we finally got into a studio, our booking agent, um, John Domegal, who's just awesome. And his son who led us in to a studio in Minneapolis, and we flew up there in September and we recorded the drums. And, you know, there's like Black Lives Matter everywhere that are just, you know, roaming the streets and the studios boarded down with uh, plywood over the windows and they've got shotguns and Rottweilers. <laughs> and Bobby goes in there and, and records his drum tracks. And it's wow. just like, yeah, man, I like this. This is badass. <laughs> So, so you, so the record is done, done, or you still have more stuff to do on it? Well, my engineer, my awesome engineer, George Marshall, is has turned everything over to Max Norman, and uh, Max Norman is mixing the record now. And oh, awesome! I, Max I know Max. I mean, Max has done tons of great stuff, and is, it, it, that's that's great to hear he's working on it as well. Yeah, we're really happy to have him involved. And uh, we just got a really great team of people working on this record. It's taken longer than we anticipated, you know, because of the pandemic and just all kinds of bullshit involved. But uh, we're just really, we've got a great team of people. Everything feels right. Everything is the right way to go with this record. And I'm just really excited for everyone to hear it. Max, you know, I should... I should mention to the audience, too, that our good mutual friend, Ace Freely, speaking of great guitar players, you're on his latest record doing a great version of Jumpin' Jack Flash. That had to be fun, but I imagine you had to do that virtually, right? No, I I actually got in my truck and I drove from Arizona down to where he was living in San Diego at the time. It was the San oh. Diego area. Yeah. And uh, I went in his studio and... Uh, you know, he didn't really know what he wanted to record. He had a few things in mind. And uh, he came back with Jumpin' Jack Flash. And I said, Ace, I can't sing that lead vocal on Jumpin' Jack Flash. It's too low. It's going to be like, you know, I was born in a cross-hurricane. I said, Ace, drop the key and let me raise the vocal. 
So he drops the key. I raise the vocal. I mean, it's like, I was born in a crossbar hurricane. It's just kicking. Yeah. And so we had a great time with that song. But Ace is the best, and we did it in his studio in California. So yeah, that's... That song. Well, you know, he, he since you recorded that, he now lives about uh, 40 minutes away from me. I talked to him the other night, and he's he's right up the street, and he lives in New huh. Jersey now. And he is just told me the other day he's just finishing off his studio here. So who knows? You, you have a little bit of a longer road trip if you're on his next record. Arizona to New Jersey is a bit of a longer drive than Arizona to San Diego. But, well, I'll have a big barbecue if you make it out for the next one, Lita. Oh God, I would love that. Okay, okay, you're on the spring. Let's hope. I'll see Let's you in hope. the spring at Ace's house. Let's hope we can do that. Hey, so as far as playing live, we we you know look forward to this record obviously when it comes out. But as far as playing live and actually doing dates, you mentioned John, your booking agent, who of course I know as well. Uh, I, I mean, all these agents, all these managers, obviously chomping at the bit to get their artists back out there again. Do you have anything on the books as far as live shows? You and I, I was supposed to host two things you were going to do in Tulsa, both of which are, you know, were postponed. So I know a lot of stuff gets announced and gets pulled back because of the pandemic. Is there anything on your schedule now, acoustic or full on band shows? Well, we we did do. Um the virtual festival uh, for Radical Sabbatical, which is going to be um, on available for January the 30th, which is what, next week? Yeah, I want to talk to you about that, and we'll get into that in a second. But I want, but in terms of actual shows in venues, have you done any, or do you have any scheduled? Well, Alice, we were supposed to tour with Alice, and... Uh, 2019 god i missed a year like there's a mere there's a year missing from my brain i think i slept through the entire year of 2020 i was like a bear and went into hibernation (laughs) but uh alice we were booked to do the alice tour and we were days away from leaving home to do the alice tour and uh, alice was forced to uh reschedule all the tour dates a lot of the dates were in canada and uh, the Canadians are, are pretty hardcore and locking down pretty hardcore up there, which I don't blame them, and that's a good thing. But it makes it difficult for us rock bands that want to get across the border. So we we were forced, he was forced to postpone until 2021. We haven't heard anything from him this year. But uh, so far, everything is postponed until 2021. So Alice is still on. It's still out there. You know, Alice will plod through anything. He doesn't care if it's virus or pandemic or freaking World War, freaking, you know, 94. He doesn't care. He's going to go through it because he's a rocker. He's a true, hardcore, diehard warrior. And, uh, and so are we. And so whatever it takes and whatever the states allow us, if the states allow us in to perform a concert, then we're coming. Is that the problem is the states are closing us down. And so we're just like, eh, you know, now what? Now what do we do? We just have to wait it out. We really don't have a choice. So but, basically you know, where, where you're at with it is once something's open and it's, it's safe and they're willing to have you perform, you're ready to go. You're, you're good. You're, you're ready to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been packed since they closed everybody down in March. 
I've been packed. Uh, we never unpacked. We're just always ready. So it's just, you know, give us the word that the states are open and we're coming. And the, the hard part is, is when you're on tour, it's not just one state. It's all the states. So you can't just really make one trip to Wisconsin. You have to be able to go through all the states that you have shows booked and right. work your way. You know, and so if Texas is closed but Wisconsin's open, it still defeats the purpose for us musicians. But I'm okay. I mean, me personally, I needed a year off. I was tired. <laughs> now, that's I the thing. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, how people handled this year, the year and counting that everyone has been locked down as far as touring is concerned. I mean, you hear from different people who really welcomed it. They didn't know they needed the break. Uh, some are just such road dogs. They hated the break and they just want they're, they're just dying to get out there and do anything. But there are a lot of people that that found it to be a welcome thing that that needed a little recharge maybe even if they didn't realize they needed it yeah it's true it's really true i came off the road in march of 2019 we were on a cruise ship and they told us on the cruise ship that alice cooper's tour is postponed you're not going on tour this year and we were just like oh okay well you just pulled the pulled the fucking rug out from underneath us. And we came home and I sat in my bathtub, in my jacuzzi bathtub, and I put my legs up on the side of the bathtub and my arms up on the side of the bathtub. And I actually sit, sat back and looked at myself and just thought, you are wasted. You are exhausted. You don't have any vitamins in your system. You need to sleep. You don't have any sun. And I'm just like, ugh, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. I think I'm just going to go to bed <laughs> for the whole year. <laughs> and that's what I did, you know. I've been pounding the vitamins. I've been eating good food. I've been exercising. I've been sleeping. I go, I go through these sleep marathons. Good for and, you. Uh, just stay in bed for like 15 hours. No TV. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's probably better you don't watch the news. That stuff will get you crazy sometimes yeah. for sure. <laughs> That's my problem. I get too wrapped up in some of that stuff. I got to I gotta just check out for like a year and not do anything. I, I, I need that. I'd, I'd like that. Uh, let, speaking of checking out. Let's talk about the radicals. Let's talk about the radical sabbatical because this is an online checkout that is happening that you, Sebastian Bach, Brett Michaels, Kenny Loggins, among the uh, uh, people participating, a little different. I mean, the last year has been streaming mania. We know that there's a million different variations on streaming. This one is actually an all day festival that's happening on Saturday. What can you tell the audience about the 80s radical sabbatical? Well, I mean, first of all, it's it's a it's a different um, accumulation of uh, different artists. And, you know, some people that like Lita Ford or Brett Michaels may not like Kenny Loggins or, you know, some of the other artists. But the thing is, these guys, Radical Sabbatical team, have really tried hard to put together a really nice day for everybody. 
and a day filled with music and a day for everyone, something everyone can enjoy. And it was hard for all of us musicians because, you know, we're stuck at home. I mean, you know, we had to make the best out of it and, and to perform for everybody the best we could. So it's just sort of like an all-around rock concert. And they were trying to cover all the bases with uh, Jesse's Girl and, and you know, the different musicians that they had, Brett Michaels and Sebastian Bach. So it's difficult. I personally do not support the virtual festival thing, but uh, I had to support this one because of their efforts and trying to reach out to people that are that are at home that, that need some music and some entertainment. I think it's it's going to be a good day. The the difference with this that I saw versus other things is that there are some artists that are performing whether it's pre-recorded or live or whatever, but did a, a, a musical performance for it. And then others are doing like hosting stuff or yoga or Sebastian's doing a wine thing. I mean, everybody's doing something a little different. What did you do for it? Are you actually performing some songs? Yeah. Uh, Patrick Kennison, my guitar player and I both flew to Minneapolis where we went into our, our same studio where, where we recorded the drums and uh, we did some live jamming and, um, you know, just put the GoPros on us and, and did some live jamming. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't my ultimate experience because I missed the audience. And, um, you know, when the song ends, it's like, well, there's nobody there but you and Patrick. <laughs> it's just like... It's too fucking quiet in here, man. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it is what it is. And uh, we did the best we could for virtual and for being in this pandemic and for the fans. And so I hope they enjoy it. And we just jammed. We just jammed out some acoustic songs. I played telly. I played, brought my tele, telecaster, which people might go, Lita's playing a telly? Like, yeah, it's my all-around go-to guitar. Well, so very cool. So, well, the people will be looking forward to seeing this. And if they want more information on it, there's a website. It's 80sradsab.com. So 80sradsab.com. And it's an all-day thing. There's activities. There's ba- there's all sorts of stuff. Um going on here and you can learn more about it at that site and get a ticket and, and watch virtually and, and see Lita play or telly and see Sebastian sample some wine and whatever Brett's doing. Uh, it should, it sounds like it's a, a fun day. Like a lot of people sitting in their houses anyway, like you said. So if you can pop on your computer and pop into this, I think people would enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what the hell, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and uh, I'm really happy that they put it together the people for the fans and just for you know for the music fans i watched uh gary hoey did a um a virtual show not that long ago and i don't really watch virtual shows but i tuned into gary hoey playing this club the narrows and uh it was pretty cool because just before the show started i received a package in the mail from his wife nicole she had sent me a box of chocolates so I was eating Gary Hoey chocolate 
and watching Gary Hoey's show, virtual show, <laughs> from the Narrows. And it was badass. I had so much fun. It was really you know, a lot of fun. So, you know, it's all what you make it, right, Eddie? It's really all yeah. what you make it. For sure. Hey, last thing on this, and then we'll let the audience want to ask you a couple questions. I won't keep you too long. But um, when you talk about the 80s, which, of course, you and I both lived through, and we we were both active in the business at that time. You had a tremendous career going in the 80s, of course. What do you, what do you miss the most personally about the 80s? <laughs> oh, I is that a trick question or what? I mean, well, no, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you what inspired it. Two things. First of all, you you and I both do a lot of '80s oriented events, things that are themed with the '80s. So is this event. But but I also um, last week on my show, I had your ex husband Chris Holmes on, who has a documentary about his career. And we talked about the 80s a little bit, and he talked about the time that he was married to you, and he talked about how bad he fucked it up because of his drinking and what a time of excess it was. And he said very nice things about you and all that. And it just took me back to that whole time, him in the pool in the in the Metal Years documentary, swinging the vodka and the footage of the Sunset Strip and you and the Kiss Me Deadly video and all that stuff and all these 80s things that always come back around. So I'm wondering, you know, what you miss the most about that period of time. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, there was a lot of wonderful things that happened during that time. It was a very colorful decade, you know, with the... Uh, with the yellow guitars and, and big hair and all these wonderful clothes. And not just me wearing the clothes. I mean, it was the guys dressed better than I did, like freaking Brett Michaels, you know, <laughs> and DeVille and all these guys. It was like, whoa, where did you get your pants, dude? I mean, those pants are rocking. But, I mean, the drugs were better. The drugs were really good back then. <laughs> the sex was good. I mean, the, you know, it was just like a lot of rock stars with a lot of sexy clothes, a lot of sexy guitars, and a lot of sexy drugs. And uh, they were just sort of like all over the place. It was, you know, you couldn't go anywhere and you would run into somebody. And it was, you know, it was almost like, you know what? I just have to fuck you right now, right here, in that bathroom of this nightclub, Bring your drugs, bring your sexy pants, bring your clothes, bring your hair. <laughs> you have the try to fit the hair in the door jam. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I remember one one time uh there was a bee on our tour bus, like a bumblebee. And uh everybody was saying, you know, kill the bumblebee. Kill the bumblebee, it's gonna sting someone. And nobody could kill the bumblebee. Everyone was swatting at it and flicking at it. So I got out a can of Aquanet hairspray and a cigarette lighter, and I torched it. <laughs> of course, the bus driver was really pissed off because he thought I was going to light the curtains on fire in the bus. <laughs> but it, you know, it was like, yay, 80s. That freaking Aquanet hairspray was the shit. 
And and what was it like? What was it like, Lee? The last thing on this. What was it like dealing with a guy like Chris Holmes? I mean, I mean, because this. I don't know if you know this documentary came out, and he talks about that period of his life, and he ta- he takes full responsibility for how drunk he was all the time. But my gosh, that must have been a lot to deal with. <laughs> oh yeah, he was just uh, he he was a handful. <laughs> he was a handful. I had to pick him out of, out of the street a few times. You know, he's six foot six. So it's not like I can just walk over and, hey, dude, I think I'll just carry you home. We would walk down the street to the local pub, the local bar, and uh, he couldn't make it home. He would just pass out. And um, I would have to pick him up and carry him back up the hill. And one time, this was pretty cool. I mean, one time he got the notion that he wanted to beat my brand-new washer and dryer up with a baseball bat. <laughs> and I'm like, like just randomly? You... Just I want to beat up the washer and dryer? I don't know. I mean, I think he was drunk and he just thought, you know, we'll, we'll screw her and her washer and dryer. I think I'll just take the baseball bat to my washer and dryer and beat the hell out of it. So I came home and uh, our side door into the house was right next to the laundry room where you walk past the washer and dryer. And I walked in, and, and I'm like, what the hell happened to my washer and dryer? <laughs> like, Who the hell beat the hell out of my washer and dryer, Chris? <laughs> so uh, I thought, okay, an eye for an eye here, buddy. I'm going to take your favorite guitar, and I'm going to go out into the street onto the double yellow line in the street on the black pavement. Of course, you know, I won't miss the double yellow lines. And I'm going to smash up your favorite guitar. (laughs) (laughs) And did you? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. And, you know, Chris's response to that was, well, are the pickups still okay? Uh, that, you know what? I think in a nutshell, that sums up the 80s in more ways than, than you could ever want. That sums it up. All right, Lita, let's hear what some of these folks have to say and want to ask you. We got another, uh, we got a bunch of people who want to say a quick hello and uh, yeah. appreciate you doing this. Here, Here is Roz in New York. Roz is our first caller for Lita Ford. Hey, Roz. Hey, how you Hi, doing? Miss Lita, you're the best. I love you. You're the greatest. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I just uh, I've broken my knee and I'm a drummer, so I'm a little crazy, but I'm good. You know, oh, I'm getting better, yeah. so it's all good. <laughs> Did you fall down? <laughs> yeah, I had a nasty fall. It was really dumb. So yeah, oh, craziness. God. Crazy, but I'm good. <laughs> so Roz, what's no, your can... question? No, I wanted to know if if um you had released your Timeless album, but you. My favorite album of yours is Black, and I was wondering if you were going to re-release Black completely, because I love Boiling Point. That is such a great song. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I I think those songs and and all those uh, wonderful lyrics and riffs and everything are so underestimated. But, um, I mean, what can you do? You know, I mean, it's part of being a female in the heavy metal rock world, and you just got to kind of eat shit once in a while. And so I'm done eating shit now, and <laughs> so we have a new record 
that we've been working on, and I think uh, 2021 is really going to be into it. So the new stuff is is going to surface soon, and I'm very excited about it. I think it's perfect right. timing now. Roz, take care of that knee. Feel better. Here's Laura in Detroit. Laura, you're on with Lita Ford. Hi, thanks. Hi, Hi Lita. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I have a couple Thank things you. I wanted to share with you, if I could. Yeah. Um, well, I the first thing I wanted to tell you is that when I was 15 years old, back in 1977, um, I've always been into rock, and some friends of mine said, hey, there is going to be an all-girl rock band playing at the Royal Oak Music Theater. You've got to go check it out. And I was so excited to go, and I saw you in the Runaways, and you guys opened for Cheap Trick and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And oh, I don't wow. you remember that. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. Right. Okay. So, so yeah. I've always wanted to be in a, you know, a rock star, of course, in, in my mind, who didn't want to be a rock star. And I never would have imagined that 32 years later, when I was 47 years old, I decided to start playing the drums and I had a very unique opportunity to be in an all mom rock band. And we had nice. two really cool two really cool opportunities. We got to open for the B-52s, and we also were on Gene Simmons' Family Jewels. So I just, I just wanted to share that with you because it's one of the best memories I have of, you know, when I was a teenager, seeing the Runaways. And Well, that's oh, awesome. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you sharing that memory. That's huge. That's yeah, huge. Th and those memories are irreplaceable. And, Laura, and uh, Lita, no coincidence here that the first two calls we've had for you are both from women that were both inspired to play because they're fans of you. That's got to feel great yeah. as a pioneer of of, of uh, female fronted of of women and rock. I mean, that's got to feel great for you. <laughs> Hell yes! Hell yes! It's badass. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really a it's really a very cool thing. Let's go to um Yeah, yeah. Let's go to uh, Brian sorry, who's getting another call in here. I'm just like, no, I can't take your call right now. <laughs> I'll let you go in a second. Here's here's Brian no, in Minnesota. Have been through so much. The women have been through so much in the rock world, and I've had to eat so much shit you guys wouldn't even know how much shit I've had to eat and games I've had to play in order to further my career as a guitar player and as a musician and to bring all these wonderful female musicians along with me in the music world. And I'm so glad that they are following, that they are there, that they are doing the things they love, and uh, it just makes it all worthwhile. Brian in Minnesota, go ahead. You're on with uh, Lita. Hey, Lita. How's it going? Hi. Hi. I'm good. Go ahead, hey, go ahead Brian. With you. Go ahead with your question, Brian. Okay. Uh, hey, Lita, I wanted to ask you, uh, speaking of the Runaways, what is your uh, what is the status of your uh, relationship with the other uh, ladies in the Runaways these days? Uh, I, really, I really don't have one, a relationship with the ladies in the Runaways right now. I mean, it's just uh, everybody's sort of gone off on their own on their own, you know, lives and uh our lives don't <laughs> don't really mesh together. 
unfortunately. It's really sad, and I hate to say it, but uh, it's just everyone's off in their own world. I wish they weren't. I wish we could all still be friends, and I wish we could all still rock out together. I think it would be awesome. I'm all for it. But, you know... So so do you not have so so things are not you don't have a relationship or you're not in contact with any of them anymore? Uh I talk to Cherie sometimes and um you know Sandy passed away and uh Joan is off in Joan land and um <laughs> and uh Jackie is off in Jackie land. It's just everyone's off in their own world and it, our worlds don't don't come together. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, I wish they did. I really do wish they did, and maybe someday they will. Maybe it'll take a dollar figure, or maybe it'll take like a huge fan base pulling it all together. And I hope it does. And if it does, I'm there. Yeah, you had but told the story. You had told the story once on the sh- on my show, Lita, about having. Um, a dinner with with Joan where you were going to get together with Joan Jett and then you sat down at the dinner. I remember, I forget what you said. You brought somebody with you as a wingman and she had her manager with her and then you were like, wait, I thought this was going to be the two of us. And Was that the last time you had exchange with her or got close to getting together with her? Oh, God. Yeah, I think it was, Eddie. I think it was because um, it's just... uh, a weird situation that is really not even worth talking about. It's just not pretty. It's not pretty. And, um, you know, I I don't know why people have to hold grudges over things that really never even happened. And sometimes people are intimidated by you or they're intimidated by whatever they want to be intimidated by, whether it's your guitar playing or whether it's your female or whether it's your pretty or whether it's you have cooler clothes I mean, what the fuck is the problem? There is no problem. There is no fucking problem when you really boil down to it and you really just strip away the bullshit. There is no fucking problem, you know? So in my eyes, I'm just like, you know, you want to do this? Let's fucking do this because I'm in it. I'm in I'm in 100%. But other people have issues and it's they're stupid issues. And uh, you know that's just how how it's been uh, how it's been left. Stupid. Does it does it amaze you the amount of interest there still is in the Runaways? I mean, I'm not going to have time for all the calls today, and I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I'm just looking at the screen now, and a lot of the calls are about the Runaways and questions about the Runaways. Does it amaze you that after all these decades, and when you consider the band obviously had some success, but not a huge amount of success back in the day, does it amaze you the amount of interest there still is in that band? You know, it doesn't amaze me because I knew the Runaways were before their time. I knew they were. And now that it's kicking in, now that people are just like, wow, let's do this. You know, let's let's rock the Runaways. I, I knew they were before their time. And uh, I'm not amazed that now, finally, everyone's wanting to see them. And I, I just really wish we could. And I hope to God that one day we, we will and one day we can. I'm there. I'm fucking yeah. there. I yeah, still well, have Tom- my hammer cars. <laughs> That's that yeah, would be I awesome. I mean, I'm ready to play them. 
Time's time's ticking for everybody, and you know, when you see you know, some on, some of our heroes, unfortunately, you know, passing away, and 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 the clock running, and it's just it would be it would be an amazing thing to see. One last call. Here's Steve in Massachusetts. Yeah. Steve, you're on with Lita Ford. Hi, Steve. Hey, Eddie. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Lita, big fan. I was there for hey. Out for Blood, and it stayed since. I'm sorry. My what was my the question. question to- he said he's oh, been I'm a fan since out. Saying. He said he's been a fan since Out for Blood, and he's been a fan ever since. Oh, nice! Well, that's badass. Out for Blood. Okay, my question for you is: Going back to the beginning of your career, how, for good or bad, has Kim Fowley shaped who you are as an artist? You know, Kim Fowley was was awesome. I mean, I he taught me so much, and I learned so much from him. I mean, I don't know that the other girls have the same vibe or the same feeling, and maybe he did things to them that he shouldn't have done, but he didn't do those things to me, and he taught me a lot, and uh, I will never, ever forget all the things that Kim Fowley taught me. I will hold him close to my heart for the rest of my life. He was street-level, rock and roll, no bullshit, told you just like it fucking is, and uh, and I got it. I got it. I mean, he was eccentric. He was weird, but I understood him. And uh, he he really helped to shape my career in so many ways. I admire him. Lita, one last thing for me, and then I'll let you go. You know, we're talking about uh, past relationships with personally with band members, whatever the case may be. Uh, I just wanted to ask you real quickly because this was something you were very public about and was well documented. The, your estrangement from your own children has that changed at all? Are you in touch with your sons now at all? No, I'm not, Eddie. Unfortunately. Um, it's been really difficult for me because I worry about them so much. And uh, the only real communication I have with them, and this may sound weird, but it's just like a mother's, a mother's mental telepathy that you can only imagine how they're doing it, if they're okay, and uh, what are their thoughts, and do, you, do they still love you? And uh, I know they do. I know they still love me. I know they can't show their love because their father crushes it and condemns them in such a horrible way that it's life-threatening. And uh, I worry about them so badly. I miss them so badly. And it's been, uh, it's been uh, 10 years, 11 years since I've seen them or had any communication. My youngest son was 8 years old and my oldest son was uh, 12 years old. And uh, that was where we left it. And it, it's um, just evil. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, again, I bring it up only because you, you were very public about it and you were trying to help others that were dealing with it. And I know it's something yeah, that was, you know, it's obviously really, you know, an important thing and, uh, and an awful thing that you've, you've been dealing with. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that it hasn't changed. Yeah, no, thank you for asking. appreciate yeah. it. Well, Lita, thank you so much for the time. You've always been awesome to me, and uh, I value our friendship, and I miss you, and I can't wait to see you again somewhere out there soon in, in real life. And uh, stay stay well. Enjoy Arizona and the, the peace and quiet, because before you know it, 
We'll be in the madness of some venue somewhere backstage with <laughs> craziness going on and saying, wouldn't it be great to be sleeping right now? So, you know, enjoy, no, enjoy no, the time. No. I slept <laughs> enough 2020. I'm ready to rock for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, you can start with the uh, the radical sabbatical again, 80sradsab.com to see Lita and the other artists we mentioned. That's happening this Saturday. If you need anything, you know where to reach me. Uh, be well, be healthy, and hopefully I'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much, Eddie. God bless everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, Lita. Thank you so much for the time. We'll talk to you soon. Well, thanks to Lita. Always great to visit with her the first ever guest in the history of that metal show. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side and welcome somebody who was once married to Lita Ford, former guitarist of Wasp, Chris, Hol- Chris Holmes. He's up next. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, this is TV personality Eric Bowling and NFL Hall of Famer Brett Favre. We're coming together for a new weekly podcast. Everyone, you got to subscribe. Bowling with Favre from politics, sports, finance, culture, nothing off the tables, maybe even a Kardashian comment. <laughs> One of the disappointing things of the whole Trump administration was when he left office and pardoned 143 people, the Tiger King didn't get a pardon. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> I watched one episode, by the way. He was a good guy. He just, was he, though? I don't know. I liked him a lot more than Carol Baskin. <laughs> Get new shows every week from Podcast One and LiveByLive.com. Old friends, great stories, intriguing conversation on Bowling with Far. We may talk a little hunting. That's your neck of the woods, Brad. And, bi- and biking. And biking and hiking. So subscribe now to the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, LiveByLive.com, and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Chris Holmes, you know him best as the wild guitarist from the band Wasp. He now lives in France. There is a documentary that has just been released about his life called Mean Man. As I mentioned earlier, We had some audio issues throughout this interview because Chris was joining us via Zoom and he had some internet problems on his end. However, it smooths out after a while. And then the last segment of the interview, we do it on the phone. So that's way, way better, which is what we probably should have done from the start. Anyway, enough good content and a guy you don't hear from that much. Definitely still worth listening to. Enjoy Chris Holmes. Chris, been a long time, man. Good to see you, buddy. Long time. As soon as he said something, he froze up. There, Chris, we lost you there for a second. You're good now, though. Yeah. Yeah, the internet sometimes, you know, it's the way technology is. Tell me about it. And and now during this pandemic, the world is on the internet, so that doesn't help either because that's how everybody's functioning. You know, uh, Chris, let's start for, with with uh, well. For, I was telling you during the break. I, yeah. I doubt you. I doubt you remember this, but this is my 38th year in radio. And when the first Wasp record came out, I was a kid out of high school doing a metal show in New Jersey. And I'm pretty sure you and Blackie were my first ever interview for that record when you came into my studio in Jersey. And I don't expect you to remember, 
But there is something you would remember about it because Blackie and I joke about it all the time. You guys came in and did the, you guys came in and did the radio interview, and the owner of the radio station, um, who was was very taken with you guys and hearing the interview, invited you over to his house for a pool party after the interview, and you went over there. And what you did not know prior to getting there is he was gay. And he was having a gay pool party that you and Blackie went to. Do you have any rec- recollection of that? No. <laughs> no. Blackie does because he brings it up every time because you had no idea what you were walking into at the time. You know, it doesn't matter. It's people are people. <laughs> no, I, I know, but of course people yeah. are people. What I'm saying is back in 1983. You know, you guys going to that, having no idea what you were going to in your leather and your outfits. It was just, it's, it was a, the record label guy still talks to me about it to this day. It was a, a hell of a memory. And, uh, he was a great guy. He was a pioneer in radio in a lot of ways, but that was my first ever radio interview many, many <laughs> years ago. Do you have a lot of, uh, do you have a lot of fond memories of the old days, Chris? Uh, Chris is freezing, in up. freezing up on us there. Chris, are you there? Yeah, Chris... I'm here. It goes in right. and out. A lot of a lot of memories of the old days. Yeah, doing this um, documentary. Are are you are they fond memories? I know you have some issues about how things went down, but overall, do you have positive memories about the old days? Oh yeah, I loved I loved I love the bad stuff too. You know, in Wasp. I, it was a good time, having a fun time, you know, just playing rock and roll, getting paid for it, and it's not, it was great. You know, I wouldn't change anything, you know. I'm still going today. Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, I have a lot of memories. The, it, when we did the documentary, we mostly did it on me and my life in Wasp. It wasn't about anybody else, you know, in there. How did the idea to do, how did the idea to do a documentary about your life come to you, Chris? You've been living in France now for about six, seven years. Was it somebody there that brought the idea to you? Um, this this guy named Antoine that he owns a, a company that does um, commercials and stuff for people, and he films all stuff. He's got all the film crap, you know, the, the projectors and lights and all that stuff, and he does it. I met him at Hellfest, and he did. Um, not um gosh uh, did my first rock video for me he offered to do it for free so he did that and then he filmed my first show that i ever sang doing a show in mean man and uh he filmed another one and then him and my wife were talking it was their idea to do the documentary you know i've been writing a book for about eight years and i haven't finished it i've I started it out going through each when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I've gotten up to where I was 17 and I just stopped. I don't know why. And so they decided, you know, let's just put this documentary together. I was kind of against it at first, but it's kind of cool. I saw it, watched it the other night, you know. So you're, you live in France and your wife, Catherine is from okay. France. Is is that what brought you there, or do, did you go there for other reasons as well? Um, I went to Finland first to play in a group uh, called Baton Rouge Morgue, and it didn't work out too much alcohol and partying than playing music. You know, I want to do music. 
And uh, so I left there and we came to visit her parents, just visit them. Felt, he felt ill when we were here and went bedridden. He's passed since. So we stayed and to help her, her mom with her dad and stuff. And uh, why we were here, I found some guys to play with in France. And that's when I started Mean Man. It just had just happened to stay, just stay here, just, you know. I didn't know what I was going to do for a while. Yeah, I loved the documentary. I really did because it was very honest. And it, and and there was a line in it that really jumped out to me when it, it talks about you relocating to France, where somebody said to you in the documentary, hey, you should go to Europe because here in America, you're going to be viewed as a has-been. In Europe, you're viewed as a rock star still. Is that how you found it to be? Yeah. Yeah, that the guy who said that was an old singer in my band, Roger Rennick. And he's so when he told me it, I didn't really kind of didn't hit me then. But now that I've come over here, he's totally right. You know, in L.A., when I'd go out to clubs or whatever, blah, 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 or play, I was a has-been, you know, as a has-been over here, I'm not. And why do you, you know? think that is, Chris? Was Was Wasp more successful in Europe than in America, do you think? Uh, Wasp was a lot bigger over here. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot more, a lot successful here because just the way the band, the image and the band, the way it was, you know, a lot of Wasp was hated in America by parents and stuff like that. You know, I have a lot but more. That... There's a, there's a lot of fans here. You know, yeah, I'm a has been in California, but over here I'm a still a rock star. <laughs> Well, you take it where you can get it. But you know what's interesting about that is like, you know, Wasp here in America was pretty damn big at one point. I mean, you guys did a lot of touring here, a lot of it opening for other bands. You had a, a lot of MTV success with the early videos. But I think it wasn't just Wasp that there's that stigma attached to. Unfortunately, it's that whole scene here in America that's looked at like that, I think. Well, yeah, but the problem is... You know, you take the first album in Wasp, it was a group of guys, a group, a band. And after that, the second album, it wasn't a group. It was a, a one-man show, and that's it's been a one-man show after that ever since. It's the way it is. Look at the records, you know, and it's, it's, it's you know, everybody, it's the way it is in that, that, that band, you know. Well, that's kinda, talked I'm about... Kinda, that's talked about in the documentary. You mentioned that, and you say, just look at the second Wasp record. You you guys were all sort of taken aback when it was just Blackie on the cover. Can you talk a little bit about how that news was broken to you? Like, when you were first approached to be in Wasp, were you told it was going to be a full, equal band, or were you brought in, essentially, as a hired gun? For one and one for all. Well, and the first Wasp never played any shows until I was in the band. So where does a band start when when it's when they record or when they do their first show? You know where does that start? So uh, I I came in before the first show and it was one for all, all for one. But then when money came into it and fame, people change. They change real bad, and uh, I never changed. I don't change. I've them changed the way I think, the way I am. I'm not going to change. I mean, you know, I am what I am. So, and it's, um, 
during the second one, you know, I was told the, the manager wants to use Blackie's image, which the manager didn't tell me that. Blackie told me that. That it's it's just the way it is, you know. Were you all signed to the record deal or only Blackie signed to the record deal? At first, it was Randy, Tony, and I and Blackie. We all signed to the management, <clears throat> not to not to the label. But I mean, everybody thinks we signed to the label, but it wasn't. And when you when you're told this as a band, and your your first record, all for one, one for all, like you say, and then all of a sudden, second record rolls around, and you can easily see where things are going. That one guy's taking the bull and by the horns, and going to be the you know build the band around him what's that do to the morale in the band at that time? I mean, you hung in there for a pretty long time, but were, was there a point where you were like that you could have, you felt you could have put a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to accept this and bailed then. What was your mentality at that time? I didn't give a shit about it anymore. I didn't care. I didn't care about the band or the business. Well, I would, I never learned about the business till about 10 years ago. I did. I was, I was, you know, how do you learn about the business? You got to be in there with the manager and all that stuff. So I was always kept from that. Um, it's it's once it, you know, became the one person, I just, you know, hey, I'll just do my thing and leave me alone. You know, I'll play, I'll do my, play my guitar. <clears throat> if I would have quit after the first album, there's a lot, you know, I was, my the way I play guitar, the way I play is really important to writing those songs, you know? Um, and if I don't, if I hadn't joined in the beginning, it would have never worked. Blackie told me that the first day when he came and talked to me to play in Wasp, you know, he says, I got this band that's not going to work unless you're in it. You know, he told me that's my face, but, but the whole, the whole concept was written about the way I think me, Uh, Chris is in came out. I'm sorry, your your internet froze up there on a second for a second. Go ahead, Chris. What were you saying? You know, and then and then a, a lot of the band came from the movie The Road Warrior, the the whole idea, the concept, the clothes, the songs, the idea, just the the idea, the whole concept of the whole band was from the Road Warrior, the movie. Mad Max, the second movie, not the not the new one. Right, but, right. Know, the original one. Do you ever see that movie? Years ago, yeah. yeah. But I get what you're I saying for sure. I love that movie with Mel Gibson in it. Yeah, yeah. Did, were you down with the whole theatrical thing in the beginning, Chris? Was that yeah. was some of those ideas coming from you, or was that more Blackie pushing that? <clears throat> A lot of it was Blackie and and me, and then and some some of the road crew guys too. A lot of the stuff. All the stuff in the early days, the sign that burnt, the we had concussion bombs, everything would have never worked unless we had the road crew guys there helping us. Without them, we wouldn't have done that show, you know, like in the Troubadour in the early days. Most of that was from the road crew guys. One of the road crew guys' dad had a shop that he let us use at night to build all that stuff, you know. The torture rack, everything, drum risers, uh, the sign that burnt, the concussion bombs, you know. And then Blackie's yeah, we, idea was throwing raw meat in the audience. It's like you get you actually get to physically touch the people in the audience with it. 
Yeah, I mean, for people that don't know what those early Wasp shows were like, and I saw some of them, uh, you know, go back and and pull some video. Some of it's in the Mean Man documentary. There's some clips, but I mean, it's it's uh, you think about now. It's pretty shocking to watch now. You think about back that was in the early '80s, a, a, a very different time. It was it was really over the top, and there was a lot of blowback. You mentioned that Wasp was, for as much as Wasp was was loved, you were hated as well at that time because of all that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I remember um, when Tipper Gore in eighty, I think it was eighty four, did the PMRC. I we had just finished a single um, animal, and um. It, and that was um, had gone out in Europe, but you could buy it at at independent stores or whatever. It wasn't a major label here. And Tipper Gore came out, and a channel I can remember sitting watching TV with my mom, and the Channel Four News came on, and she held that album cover up on TV. I go, "Wow, mom, look, we made it!" <laughs> I remember that first came out as she held that up right at TV. That album cover, I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I remember that. I remember I remember seeing I mean that still comes up in those archival news clips of Tipper Gore holding the the EP for fuck like a beast. It's just what was your mom's impression when was she proud of her boy Chris making it on TV with Animal Fuck Like a Beast? <laughs> she, she really didn't care. You know, she was like a little shocked. She she liked it. She was a little shocked, you know. When when um about two years before that, when when Black first came back to have me join the band, I played with him in Sister way before. But when he, when after our first meeting, he asked me if I could do the band, and I go, well, listen, let me go find out my living status, blah 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 blah, you know, because. So I went, I, I went back to my mom. I go, Mom, can I live here, and not work, and you know put a hundred percent into this band. Um, you know, and, and cause you know, if you, my mom's like, if you're not going to have a job and work, you're not going to live at home, you know, go live wherever. So, but anyway, she goes, you, do you think this band will make it Chris? I go, if I put in a hundred percent, yeah, it will. And then she goes, okay. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, to go from there to, to that in, in a two years was a good, you know, she was like, the scene on the news all her friends called her mama wasp <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of your mom look she was almost as famous as you in the decline of the western civilization movie which again is talked about in your documentary that scene is so legendary of you in the pool on the recliner with your mom and you with that vodka uh-huh. Pull the curtain back for once and for all, Chris, the final word on this, because there's been a lot of debate about it. Was that real vodka? Did you really chug that? Was that really vodka in that bottle? Yeah, and I poured it in my eyes. Look at my eyes burn. My eyes burn. Yeah, of course. I, I've, I'm not the kind of guy to do anything fake. No. <laughs> what do you remember? What do you remember about that shoot? How did that all end up coming down that you shot that for that movie? I went to school, high school, with a guy that was Penelope, Spe- uh, Penelope Spe- Spears. Is that Spheris. not Spears? Yeah, yeah. I was her boyfriend, this guy named John Neff. He's passed now. But anyway, she called me in London 
And I was just, you know, I was getting ready to come home from a promo tour. Uh, uh, forget it. Electric Circus Tour or something like that. And she calls me in London and goes, Chris, I'm doing a decline too. Uh, could you do an interview? And I go, I, I said, why don't you talk to Blackie? She goes, uh, Matt, Matt, she goes, I don't have, she goes, I don't have the money. Do we go out again? Yeah, you you're got, good now. You, she, you pick it up where you said she, you said you should, she should talk to Blackie. Okay. Uh, I said, you should talk to Blackie. She goes, I just got off the phone with him. She goes, he wants to do a big production, do this, do that, that. She goes, I don't have the money to do what he wants to do. Can you just do an interview? I go, yeah, no problem. When do you want to do it? She said, a, a, a week and a day from this day. It was a Saturday to a week and a half later. So <clears throat> um, that Saturday rolls up, and I've been partying for two days with my friends, you know, doing chemicals or whatever we do back then, still up. She goes, Chris, um, we're going to film it on Sunday. She calls me on Saturday morning, goes, Chris, um, how you doing? I go, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. And I go, uh, I'll be ready tomorrow. She goes, can you film it today? I go, man, I'm pretty wasted right now. She goes, do you mind doing it today? I go, I got to lose. No. So when did it, and plus, uh, I hate to tell you, it wasn't my pool. It looks oh, like it was my right? house. It wasn't. It was Miles Copeland's house. Oh, wow. So, and were you wearing those clothes or did you put, you said you kind of got called into it and you were out partying. Did you get dressed for it or did you happen to be dressed like that? No, no, no. I drove over to his house to film that part in the movie. She said, how do you want your part? I said, in a swimming pool and a lounge chair, you know? <clears throat> and um, I happened to be that hammered. My mom just came by my house right before we left. Me and my friend drove, driving me down there. I go, Mom, I got to do this interview. Do you want to come along? She goes, oh, sure. So she came along. She wasn't drunk. I was. you know. And then um, what's really funny is before they're going to – you know, in the old days when they take a picture and they go click, click, and they put a thing to your face about the lights and stuff, you know, they sure. got to check the lighting. Okay. So I'm sitting in a chair, and I got my stage pants on and my vest. And when I play, they get wet anyway, soaked. So what's the difference in the pool? It ain't going to hurt nothing. So – um, it's the, it's the makeup lady's doing my hair, putting hairspray on it. I'm sitting here, I'm looking at her and I'm looking at the pool and I can't figure it out, but I let her do my hair, you know, and they go, Chris, ready? We want to check out the lights or something, blah, blah, blah. So I go, okay. I walk over and I just jump in the pool completely under and come up and the makeup lady's looking at me like I'm out of my mind. Oh, fuck, <laughs> I'm going to be in the water. I'm going to be in the water. What do you, come on. It's funny. I looked at her and she, she couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so then, so you weren't, it wasn't planned for you to actually do the interview in the pool. I, we, we, it was all done on the fly. You know, uh, it was planned a, to be in the pool. It just ended up like that. And, uh, and the, 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 vod the vodka, were you carrying that around or did somebody give you that there? And, and, I mean, how, how premeditated was it for you to do that with the vodka or you just did that? I think I brought the bottles with me. I brought them with me. Oh, you know what? I think we're supposed to have it where she woke me up in a bed or something. And I had the bottles of vodka in the bed. I don't even think I'm supposed to be in a pool. It's been so long. I can't, you know, I, 
Well, it, it, ended up to, it ended up like that anyway, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, a lot, a lot of kids have come up and go, man, that's the coolest interview I ever seen. I want to live like that. I kind of go, whoa, that's bad. That's a, that's an unbearable influence. Yeah. That's not, that's not something that I would think you would want uh, people to aspire to be like that at that time. That's, that's not a, that's not a goal to set. I, I wouldn't think for your well being. you got, I got to ask you, Chris, I mean, are you amazed that you survived through all that uh, you, in the documentary? They said that you had, you've had six DUIs in your life. Of course, yeah. you know, you mentioned drugs and alcohol and how much that was a big part early on of, of your life. Is, is it amazing to you that you're, you're still here in 2021? <laughs> I said, you know what? I just go day by day and take it, you know, as it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Have you seen the interview, uh, the pool interview, two thousand seventeen? I redid it. No, you haven't seen it. I redid it in a pool in France. And Look it uh, up. are you drinking like, vodka still or no? No, no just talk, they, they asked me the same question sober. <laughs> is it on you youtube know? huh yeah yeah is it not- just look up uh, swimming pool interview 2017 yeah i redid it now you've stopped drinking right yeah, i drink his last drink i had was february 6th of 96 oh wow so you've been sober a long time congratulations man that's great this february will be 25 years was it hard to get sober? How, did you just did you go to a program, or did you just how how'd you deal with it? <clears throat> um, my sixth DUI, I listened to the counselor, and one of the last meetings, walking out of the room, he goes, "He was a basketball player that did the DUI program," and he goes, "Chris, he goes, if you you were to quit drinking for one year, you'll never drink again." I thought he was nuts. And he goes, think of it this way. You can always go back to it. So one year. And when he told me that, I felt like, wow, I'm not losing. Man, I can always drink. I can always go back to it. What am I losing? One year. I went to Chick Center. Uh, ever, heard, ever heard of the Chick Center? No, I never heard of it. Oh, well, they have it for smoking. Okay. The, it's called the Schick Shadow Hospital. Well, they do it for alcohol, and they do the exact same thing that Clockwork Orange did. They make you drink at the hospital until you're sick of it. And whatever and that, it did, it cured. It made made it so I don't want to drink again, and I haven't drank since. Wow, that is amazing! Absolutely amazing. Chris Holmes, former guitarist and original guitarist of Wasp. He is joining us live from his home in France, where he's lived for about six, seven years, and he currently plays throughout Europe in normal times uh, with a band called Mean Man that he not only plays guitar in, but also sings in. And it's also the name of a really fun, great new documentary on Chris's life that's out there right now that people can see. It's out already here, Chris, because I, I have some friends that I know rented it or bought it, so people can see it now. They can get it on video on demand or however, right? It's available. Yeah, 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 yeah. On Amazon or dot com, you know, Amazon dot com or whatever. Yeah, whatever you had said that. You had said that when the idea to have a documentary done on your life was first presented to you, you were hesitant about it. You didn't know if it was a good idea. Why were you worried about it? And are you happy with the way it came out? Because at first, you know, I kind of think my life's kind of boring. 
I can assure you it's not boring to hear about. <laughs> you know, the more that. My wife... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of it, so I guess it does look boring. But uh, my wife and Antoine, the, the producer guy, they talked me into it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's the guy that went to America and filmed all those people. You know, I didn't go when he filmed my mom, my sister, and all the other people, you know. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of, it's cool. It's kind of like the first documentary from somebody from Wasp, you know, come out. Now, you mentioned it, in the documentary something I didn't know, Chris, that you actually were in and out of Wasp. Was it three different times that you had done something with Blackie, then he called you back, and then he left, and you came back again? You were in and out a few times, huh? Yeah, twice. I played till uh, 91, and then I just, uh, I just had it with the, just getting treated like a piece of crap, you know, treated like, like everything was always put on me with one bad that and this. And I just, I had enough of it. I got lied to by some money things and, um, it's, I just quit. And then, um, I had moved to Wyoming and he, uh, they called me up there and asked me to come back and play if I wanted to. So, um, the only reason why I really came back is because I never, I, if I didn't, I would have never traveled again. You know, I wanted to see the rest of the world. You mentioned early on in the documentary too, and and I understand being upset about this because it's a big revenue stream for so many artists, especially if they're not active that much. Is uh, is publishing and songwriting, and that you played a big role in the songwriting of the songs, and you didn't see publishing on that. You didn't get your writer share on it. Well, my name's on the records, but it's it, when you dig down in the contracts that it's not. I'm just written in as a session player. I didn't know it at the time, but you know, if it's held from you and it's not in your face, you don't know. But, repeat that, that out Re Chris. Repeat I that for us again because we we lost you there for a second. So you you oh. saw your credit on the record, but you actually were not in the paperwork of being paid uh, as a, as a credited writer? Well, as, as in the contracts with ASCAP and stuff, I never saw them. I didn't know how it worked. Nobody told me. So you don't know how it goes. You know, you just trust. I put my trust into somebody and that was, you know, had to stick a knife in my back on the, doing it all. <clears throat> and then I didn't find that out till 2010 with 11. Uh, Filthy Animal Taylor's the guy that dug into this stuff and found it for me. You know, is he's there English, any... right? He filthy is English, and right. plus his 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 uh people that he works with and his that do his publishing stuff they're English, and they dug into the my the company um, Sanctuary, who's English. If you're in California, it's kind of hard to do when you don't have no way of doing it. He dug in and found it out, just the way it is. You know, uh, I was with where Dick was. Uh, Chris is Chris is freezing up on us. And I said something to Dick. And we freezed up again. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Now? Let me. Yeah, it's a little better now. But Chris, let, let me ask you this then: Do you have any recourse on that? Do you have any? Have you ever talked to anybody? Can you ever go back and recoup money that you feel you're owed? Did you, are you able to look into that? 
Well, since the way, since it was done at the time, written out, I'd know. And if I did go into court, the guy said I wouldn't get see anything till I was ninety. So what use is it? Right, right. What's your you relationship know? now with with Blackie? Because there's an interesting part in the film too, where I think it's Stet Howland. Uh, he says yeah. something like. Um, Blackie helped you get sober and always cared about you. So when you're, when you're just for clarity, when you're talking about having a knife stuck in your back, are you talking about that being Blackie or somebody in the business? And what's your relationship like with Blackie? I don't have a relationship with him at all. I haven't seen him since um, it's said in the documentary that at Stet's rehearsal room, we had the last Sense and and uh, you're locking up on me again, there, Chris. I'm sorry, man, but we didn't we didn't hear it. We didn't hear anything, Chris. Hold on, we didn't hear anything you said because you keep freezing up on me, man. I'm sorry, but your internet. Yeah, he, we're we're probably gonna have to stop because he's uh, locking up on us as much as I'd love to All hear right. this. Can can you hear me now, Chris? It's, yeah, I can hear you the whole time. Yeah, you, we're now? not getting you, though. Good? We're not getting you. Yeah, we got you now. Let's try one more time. All right. Um, I forgot the question. <laughs> just just about, about Blackie and Stett and what Stett said about you, that he helped you a lot. If you could clarify where you're at with him. He didn't help me get sober. I mean, what did he do, take a bottle out of my hand? He just, he. He gave me the money. Um, black. He he wanted so. Am I cutting out again? Yeah, yeah, you are. You know, you know what I want to try doing because we probably should have tried this earlier. If we can, is um. We're gonna go, we got one more commercial break. Let's take this break, and then maybe what we can do is I can have my producer call your wife's cell phone, and we can just go on the phone, and that'll probably be a hell of a lot better. Is that cool? Okay, yeah. I let me go get her too. Okay, Sarah? so we'll we'll go to <laughs> we'll go to a commercial break. I apologize, folks. I mean, we got we've got Chris yeah. joining us from France, and he's on Zoom, and his internet is is it, spotty, and there's nothing else we can do. We're working around as best we can, but we're gonna try to just. I always prefer the phone anyway. We're gonna try to just go back to a regular good old phone line. I guarantee it'll sound great, and we'll be able to have a few more minutes with Chris Holmes talking about his documentary, Mean Man. We'll try to hook it up on the phone during the break and come back with more right after this. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, you know, it's it's 2021. The world in a pandemic is on the Internet, so sometimes stuff happens, and Chris's Internet was a little dicey there. And now we just said... Let's try the good old phone line, and we got him on the phone, and it's sounding way better. Yeah. So we continue now with Chris Holmes joining us from his home in France. Again, the documentary is called Mean Man. It is out now. Uh, so, Chris, I just because we yeah. couldn't hear you that well, I just want to pick up with where things were cutting out. Just just okay. for the audience, um, we 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 were talking about 
that in the documentary, Stead had talked about how Blackie really cares about you and helped you out. Can you provide some clarity about where you're at with Blackie now? You said you haven't spoken to him in a while and your feelings about him and all this. Well, I haven't spoken to him since the meeting that we had. And um, since then, I have figured out what happened, how they um, kept me with – I've. <clears throat> Filthy Animal Taylor from Motorhead dug into my publishing and figured out what they did. And it's really extremely shitty the way they wrote me in as a session player, not even a, not even a member of the band. And, um, you know, did it behind my back. So, I mean, I just, why would I play with somebody like that ever again? I'd be stupid, you know. So you have no relationship with him anymore and you rule out ever playing no. with him again. Unless he wants to pay me my publishing, <clears throat> you know, but he just, uh, they, you know, did it behind my back. We're going to, we're going to make millions, Chris. Yeah. And then write me, write me in as a session player. And, and, uh, my name goes on the records of it deep down in the contracts. I'm not even got nothing to do with the band. What, yeah. uh, so what, what, that's, you... that's what, go ahead. I'm sorry. If that's the way, if that's the way it is, the guy is, and you know, he can just do his thing. It's, hey, after the second record, it was just a Blackie Lawless project anyway. You know, how did you first meet him, Chris? You were in Southern California as well. You said he approached you and you were playing in a band with him prior to Wasp. Yeah. I played in a band called sister. Back in probably 78, 78 uh, a friend of mine that's passed now, Pete Castle, guitar player, he played um, in a band called Scarab with Rudy Sarzo, Frankie Benelli, and Tony Basil, some other people. But he, uh, I was his roadie, helping set his equipment up and stuff. And uh, he goes, Chris, here's this guy, their guitar player had left, and they're looking for a guitar player. And I go, well, why don't you join him? He goes, it ain't my bag. I'm not into that show shit, wearing them weird clothes and acting funny. He goes, but you jump around and you're, uh, you'd fit right in. So I called it and it was a drummer, Jimmy Image. And they told me to come down and audition. And I did. Now I was in the band, you know, sister. Right. And then that yeah. just transitioned into Wasp? No, 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 no. I didn't like the way it was ran, the band. I didn't like the way I was treated. And so the first chance I could leave without screwing the band over, I left. And, um, you know, I played in a few other things in LA, Pasadena, uh, some other groups at the time. And I was working at Sirwin Vega speaker company and I had gotten in trouble with the law and had to go to jail. And so I asked the Vega to, let me collect unemployment while I was in jail. <laughs> so I, I had a, when I got out of jail, this, um, my sister goes, I went to Vegas and spent all the money. And on the way home, she goes, Chris, this guy named Blackie called, um, you know, here's the number. So just, I was just going to call him just to say hi. I called him to say hi. And he goes, I got to talk to you. And he came up and saw me and said, we did, I need you in this band. You know, at the time, Randy was in the band. Uh, Rick Fox wasn't. There was a guy named Don Costa. Yeah, who went who on to do a short stint with Ozzy at one point. 
Right, right. Don was in the band when I joined with and Tony and Randy. They threw Randy out to get me in the band. That's when Blackie said the band ain't going to work unless I'm in it. And uh, you can see the band previous of that. It's it's called Circus Circus, and they play Love Machine. It's on the internet. You can see it. And then when I joined the band, you can see what I my, my writing, whatever rearranging writing, whatever brought to the band to make that song what it is. You can see the difference. Um, and then when I came in the band, we played a show at the Woodstock and Don, the bass player, that's when the, the famous um, thing where he had a cheese grater in his amp and he rubs his knuckles on it and blood going everywhere and shit. Right. Um, yeah. Th- that show and Don was playing his bass out of tune and had his, had his volume knob on the thing and was making noise all out of tune. And it just it pissed me off radically. And I grabbed him after the show and said, Don, if you ever play out of tune like that on stage, you can jump around, do what you want, turn your bass off if it's out of tune, but don't leave it on out of tune. I go, you ever do that again? I'm going to chew your balls off and spit them off right in your face on stage. And he already auditioned for Ozzy at that point. So he quit and I got blamed for him quitting, you know, but I just, you don't play out of tune on stage, man. You turn your guitar off and you go over and tune it. Whatever yeah, happened yeah. to that guy, Chris? Do you, you you hear from him? Somebody mentioned that to me the other day. He's like the forgotten guy that was in Ozzy for two seconds and the guy who <laughs> used a cheese grater on his knuckles. It's so insane. Yeah. Do you know anything about him? What happened to him? Uh, I'll tell you, as as a bass player, as a bass player, he was probably one of the best I've ever played with. Wow. You know, as yeah, he was I mean, as he played with his fingers, he he played really good. He just he had a good feel. He got Nazi and he was a good entertainer, Don. And they got in a fight and Nazi broke his nose. And then I think he went back to college and became a lawyer. Wow, that's amazing. He would be a yeah. great guy to track down. What a story that is. That's unbelievable. An- another story that's in the that's touched on in the documentary is your marriage to Lita Ford. Was was yeah. was that? Did that not work out because of your drinking at the time? That was what really did that in, right? Yeah, yeah. She wanted me to quit drinking, and I wasn't. I wasn't going to quit drinking for anybody. You know, <laughs> nobody, nobody. She just got tired of my bullshit and was like, "That's it." You know, that's, that's the way it is. You know, she had a bad. And plus, at that point in her life, she had a real bad time in her life. When I first met her, her father had passed. He had got a brain tumor and passed. And then her mom had just passed away. So she was like cleaning house, too, you know. Mm, and I just mm. went up. I just went up the vacuum cleaner with everything else gone. <laughs> but I wasn't going to uh, quit drinking. Right, you know? right. That didn't come yeah. for a number of years later. So Chris, for no. with the we have we have a few minutes left in the show here before yeah. I have to wrap up. Tell the audience listening about what you're doing now because well I know now because of COVID and we talked about it during one of the commercial breaks there in France it's really locked down. You can't even go out after 6 p.m. there in France. Mm-hmm. So you you guys are under a really strict lockdown. So needless to say there's no shows, but in normal times yeah. uh with your band you tour around Europe predominantly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Played Germany, Scandinavia, England, you know, um, Ireland. Played Portugal. And, um, some of the 
Eastern Bloc countries. Um, Venice, Vienna played in Poland, a few shows there. Um, and you're singing, had, you're singing and playing guitar, right? I on the on my songs, I, I got a, I got some a young kid in England from a, a band called the Wicked Jackals. Him and his bass player are in Mean Man when we play. He sings the Wasp songs when we play Wasp. We play half Mean Man and half Wasp songs because I gotta play, you know, Animal and Wild Child and Blood Machine. If I didn't, people would be pissed off. So I got to play those songs regardless. And, uh, and Blind in Texas. But um, Ollie, he's, he sings all the Wasp songs. And I don't, I just sing the backups. And then when we play the Mean Man songs, I sing them. And he sings the backups. It works out great. And are you, are you making studio music? Are you making records at this point? Are you doing anything new musically? Um, I just had an EP come out last year called, called um, Under the Influence, and the EP is an EP to an LP that I finished called Unbearable Influence. And I got, I didn't have enough money to record all 10 songs. I could only pay for in the studio work to get the four songs done with an actual drummer playing drums and, you know, everything recorded properly. So we were going to finish it up last 2020 but then covid hit and nobody can travel so i guess so i'm gonna have to wait till um people can travel to finish it the, the next six songs plus i Speak. did a song a song that came out sarah wanted me to write a song about covid last year six months ago called playing with fire and i was just sitting twinking on my guitar and the riff came to me and i wrote the lyrics to it it's about covid it's about playing with fire you know it's about how the how the government or people lying to you, and then she put that out, you know, last year, five four months ago, called uh, "Plane with Fire." And oh, Chris, what? Album, I'm not sure. What's your single greatest memory of your time in Wasp? Whether it was a show or touring or a record or a song, you have a favorite moment from the time you were in Wasp? <clears throat> the Headless Children. The Headless Children tour and the album and and uh, <clears throat> it's I, I like the album because I played almost all the guitars everything and uh, I wasn't didn't have the restrictions around my neck you can't do this can't do that you know I get to play what I really felt what I wanted to so you know do the guitar sound and the leads and stuff I got to play that was really you know do what you want Chris and um. The tour was was good. Uh, Benelli really brought a different aspect into the drum sound of the band, you know. Yeah, such and a Hensley shame we lost. Cool. Such a shame we lost and, Frankie recently. Yeah, sad because he's to go at that age, you know. And Ken Hensley too, who also passed away not too long ago. Unfortunately, it's just it's been yeah. a been a rough a rough time indeed. And uh, well, I'll tell you what, you, man, it's. You, you know, you, you, one thing about the headless children and before that what i loved is touring is having johnny rod in a band who's in the documentary yeah but when johnny was in wasp he caused so much trouble i couldn't do no wrong <laughs> <laughs> he was always out troubling me by far so i was like 
the flying nun compared to Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's still Johnny's still out of his mind in a good way, though, in a fun way. I just saw Johnny oh. less than a year ago. We did something yeah. like in Virginia together at like a private function, a, a charity thing, and uh, we sp- yeah. the first time I spent some time with him, and he's he's still shot out of a cannon, man. He's a fun guy. Uh, he's he's on ten and a half. He's that's just his personality. I love the guy. You know, you, you can't shut him up. <laughs> well, you well, to, listen. You have to knock. You have to knock him out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Chris. I'm going to run out of time here, but it's great yeah. to catch up with you. And if I ever get over yeah. to France, I'm going to look you up. And uh, if you get back to the yeah. U.S., please let me know. And all my best to you, man. Stay stay well, you and your wife there in France. And hopefully you get back to playing your show soon. And I encourage everybody to check out the documentary on Chris Holmes. It's available now wherever you see movies. Uh, look it up. It's called Mean Man. Thanks for the time, man. It was great catching sure. up. All right. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you very much, man. Stay in touch, Chris. Good luck. Well, great stories from Chris getting that clarification on that absolutely being vodka in that legendary metal year scene and uh, him sharing some thoughts about being married to Lita and earlier Lita sharing some thoughts about Chris doing damage to the laundry room. (laughs) My gosh, what a story. What a life, huh? All right. Well, hope you enjoyed this double episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast with Chris Holmes and Lita Ford. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for putting it together for me. I'll see you guys next week on Thursday with another all-new episode. Next week, I'm bringing you my Brian Adams interview. I did over an hour with Brian Adams a, a week or two ago, and I'm out for the Sirius XM show, and I'm thrilled to finally bring it to you as the podcast A lot of people commented on this and enjoyed it. That'll be next week. If you don't have Sirius or XM or you're outside of America or Canada where you can't get Sirius XM, the entire Brian Adams interview that aired a couple weeks ago that I did live is coming to the podcast next Thursday. Have a great week, everybody. Catch you then.